Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. So if you would turn with me in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48. We will begin... Our study. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now I'm not just talking about you. I'm also talking about me. When I first came into the Pentecostal movement, I guarantee you, I was not a person who was free to worship and praise God. At all. And I've told you many times that when I went to that first Pentecostal worship service, I sat on my hands. I absolutely, positively sat on my hands. I thought the people were gone off the deep end. I thought they were lunatics. I mean, you just didn't do that. You didn't wor- worship God by lifting up your hands in the air and blessing Him and, and shouting out praises unto Him. At least I wasn't taught that. You know, I was reared up in, in religion, yes, but I wasn't taught in my religion that that's how you worship and that's how you praise God. It was always very solemn, you know, and... and uh, Others did all, did anything that was to be done in a worship service, and the people just sat back very quietly and, you know, reverently and that sort of thing. Well, there's a place for reverence, we understand that. But you know what, people of God, there's also a place for true worship and praise. There is a place for true worship and praise in the life of the believer. And it's important we understand not what we feel about it is true, is, but it's what God feels about it that is true and that we need to get involved in what he has spoken and what he has said and how he has instructed us to worship and to praise him. So in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, Now notice, for the abundance of all things, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life in abundance. In John 10.10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that you might have life, which is the life of God. It's, It's the Greek word zoe, the life and the nature of God, and have it in abundance. A person cannot experience that life of God, that zoe of God, until the time of regeneration, when that life is imparted to that person's human spirit, that human spirit is recreated by the power of God. Then that person experiences the life of God, which is the nature of God, which is in the Greek zoe, the life and nature of God. And Jesus says, I came to give that to the people in abundance. Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy, or to place people under the heavy hand of bondage. But Jesus came to liberate, to set people free, and to give them an abundance of good things, an abundance of life. And here it says, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness 
and with gladness. And wherever you see that word because, you make sure you make note of it. Underline it. Underscore it. Highlight it. Whatever you do in your Bible, circle it. Sometimes I circle certain words that, you know, I want to stand out. Because tells us why. Many times people will say, well, why this and why that? And we always answer with a because, don't we? Well, because. Because of this or because of that. Well, why is it that so many of the people of God were in captivity and were in bondage? Here we have the word of the Lord speaking to them saying, Because you didn't serve me, the Lord your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Now notice this. Therefore shalt thou serve. Underline also in both scriptures, verse 47, verse 48, the word serve. Therefore, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger, in thirst, nakedness, and one of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he have destroyed thee. What's the purpose of Satan's coming? For to kill, steal, to destroy. And he'll put a yoke of iron. You ever get some iron around your neck? I know some weightlifters who died because they put too much weight on on the bar and didn't have anybody to spot them. And when they failed to lift up the weight, the weight fell down upon their neck and killed them. Well, that's exactly what he's saying here. He'll put a yoke of iron around the neck and weigh you down with heavy burdens until finally you're what? Destroyed. Destroyed. But why? Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, of heart so that you can experience the abundance of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Therefore, you're going to serve your enemies. Now, I want you to see something here. We, as children of God, are expected to serve Him with joyful hearts and with gladness within our hearts so that He can move in and through our lives to accomplish the purpose of His will. If we are not serving Him with joyful hearts and with gladness in our hearts, then what are we doing? Well, if we're not joyful, and the joy of the Lord is our strength, if we're not glad in the things of God, then for the most part we're probably complainers, complaining about life and its difficulties, and murmuring about the problems that we face. Do you ever notice that no matter how long you live upon this earth, there will always be something for you and me to complain about? Huh? And you ever think about that? Will there ever be a day that you can wake up and say, there's nothing to complain about today? There's always something out there. You, you, if, you live in a, just, if you live in a home that you own, you probably complain about paying the mortgage every month. Complain about the yard's not the way you'd like to have it to be exactly. Or this or that. There's always something to complain about in life. There's always something to murmur about in life. Whether it's going to school, whether it's not going to school, whether it's having a job, whether it's not having a job. When you have a job, you complain about having a job. When you don't have a job, you complain about not having a job. Huh? Listen, I worked in the mill. I know all about it. People think I was born with a suit on as a pastor. I wasn't born with a suit on as a pastor. 
Not an act of my choice. I know what it's like. And I dreaded going to work every single day, especially when it came to the night shift, the graveyard shift. The night that you're supposed to be sleeping. I remember, I'll never forget the very first time I worked the night shift down at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. Lord have mercy. I didn't know him then. And the job that I had was so boring. I couldn't believe they paid people so much money to do nothing. And then those that work out there, I mean work, breaking their backs, working hard so little for doing so much. Somehow it just doesn't make any sense. But I actually sat there on a chair, difficult for eight hours. And the only, only manual labor that I had was just to sit there in that fixed position and watch pipe roll down the line. And I would sit there like this and look over to my left because that's where the pipe came from through the reelers. And as it was passing down on the rolls, once it hit that roll, it was my responsibility to watch it go through the sizing mill that I was operating, this huge, humongous sizing mill, sizing this 14 and 3 quarter inch pipe. And I would just sit there and watch it go through that sizing mill, you know, with a little button that I could push. And I would watch it go through that sizing mill. And the difficult part came was after it went through the mill, it went over to the other end over there. At the end of the rolls, I'd have to sit there and watch it. And when it stopped, to make sure the chain was exactly right over there so I could push the button and kick it off. You tried doing this for eight hours during the night. Eight hours of that. Five o'clock in the morning, there was a puddle of oil like that right over there. And I, said, I wanted to lay down in it. Just wanted to lay down. Just lay down and go to sleep. You say, what kept you in that chair? They paid a pretty good wage. But I complained about it the whole time I was there doing it. Oh, we like to reap the benefits. We like to reap the rewards. But we always complain. And you know what? You lose that job and the first thing you know, people are complaining now that they don't have that job where they sit there and go. I mean, you had to have an education to do that. At least a good working neck. I went home. The next morning I went home. She says, honey, how's, how's the first day at work? And I just said, everything's okay, honey. <laughs> everything's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, that's just the way it was. Motivated by the buck. By the dollar. Always something to complain about. Always something to complain about. Children of Israel, after they got delivered from Egyptian bondage, you couldn't get a people to worship and praise God like they did when they got over to the other side. And it wasn't something that you had to stir up. Man, when God's mighty power was in manifestation and the glory of the Lord was revealed and the Egyptian army was drowned in the midst of the Red Sea and the people of God were delivered from that awesome, terrifying, fearful bondage, 
there in freedom at last. They looked back. They saw that God's right hand delivered them by his mighty power. And they were a free people. Miriam got out the tambourine and began to do a dance. She began to lead the women of God in a time of praise and worship of Almighty God Himself. You didn't have to light a fire under them. It was in them to praise God because of what they saw, because of the revelation that they had, because of the vision, the perception of what God had done for them. They were a delivered people and they had gratitude within their hearts. And you know what, people of God? When God's people are filled with and full of gratitude, there is joy unspeakable. It's full of glory. It will be expressed through true worship and praise unto the Father that will ascend to His throne and get a hold of His glorious power and might, and He will inhabit the praises of His people and manifest Himself in their behalf, on their behalf, to show Himself to be a mighty, strong, powerful, delivering God in every time of adversity, trouble, or calamity. That's the way it is. And that's why we have to give ourselves over under this all-important teaching, instructing us in true worship and praise of the Father God in spirit and in truth so that we can prevent from being the person who serves and worships the enemy with murmuring and complaining and so on and so forth and find ourselves put in a position where we're serving our enemies in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in one of all things, and we've got a yoke of iron upon our neck until we're destroyed. See, it's a choice that we have. Many have not recognized the importance and the value of true worship and praise, but beloved, you'll find out that those who did understood how to come into contact and vital communion with the living God that brought about a mighty hand of deliverance in their time of trouble. When Paul and Silas were literally placed in bondage, bound up in chains, the Bible says they prayed and sang their praises unto God. And as they began to not murmur, not complain, allow me a lot of people of God, if they were placed in that kind of position, they'd be like I was sitting on that sizing mill, back and forth, rehashing back and forth. Why are we here? What are we doing? We've missed God. What's God doing? What's going to happen? My back is bleeding. I'm hurting. I'm so sore. Would you rub my back? Put a little ointment on my back. Make it feel a little bit better. What about these chains? I thought we were serving God. What in the world is going to happen to us now? We're probably going to die. It was better when I was back in the world serving the devil. I start serving God. Look at all. I never got placed in jail. They got my fingerprints. I'm on record. What am I going to do? I'm going to get a job now. That's just a little paraphrase about what Paul said. Forget about Silas. But they didn't do that, did they? No, they didn't do that. No, what they did was they began to pray. They took it to God in prayer. They didn't call for somebody else. They, in their dilemma, they, in their adversity, they, in their calamity, they, with their troubles, they took it to God in prayer, and they knew the secret of true worship and praise. And once they released their faith in prayer, they began to sing up literally a storm, an earthquake. The power of God was manifested in their presence in such a dynamic way. Their chains fell, chains fell off. 
The fetters and chains fell off. They were delivered from that bondage. They were set free. They were delivered. Everybody's bands were loose, the Bible says. They experienced the power and the glory of God. And you talk about perfected praise. There was such a high time that they had. Revival established a church. And they got people serving God. Baptizing water the same night. Who would think that that would have happened in that same night? That they were in, waiting in jail for their unsure conviction. Trying and probably sentenced to death. See, they knew something. They knew something that we need to know. They understood something that we, the people of God, need to understand with regard to true worship and praise of the Father. And that's why we are giving ourselves into this study. The people of God, I believe, is going to revolutionize the individual life and also revolutionize the way we meet as a corporate body of believers. I have not come here this morning to be religious. I tell you, I came here to experience reality with a living, loving, caring, healing, delivering God. And if he's not in that business, then something is wrong. Because he's always the God of the, of the individual throughout all the Bible. Isn't he? A personal God with personal solutions to personal problems. So no matter who you are this morning, I want you to know something. No matter what your problem is, no matter what the situation is that you are facing today, I want you to know that there's a way of escape that God has provided for you. And if you'll just choose to enter into his plan, align yourself with his purpose and his will, you will not go away disappointed. You will experience the glory and the power of God in your life that will change you in the midst of your circumstances and elevate you to a place of power and victory over all the situations that you confront. And that confronts you in life. It doesn't mean that everything around you is going to necessarily change automatically. It doesn't mean that. It means you're going to change. And you know what? You'll be able to face the same kind of world in which you live right now with a different attitude of heart. Something different inside your spirit, man. It'll lift you up to a place of being more than a conqueror over all these things. Can you say amen? Praise God Almighty. And that's what it's all about. Because you know why? We are never going to get to a place that we don't have something to complain about in life. There will always be something that we can complain about in everyday life. You know, the only time that complaining is going to stop is if you're a child of God and you leave this physical body and you go over to the other side and everything is fine. There's nothing there to contend with us. No. No evil there. No sorrow there. No sickness there. No calamity there. No disease there. Nothing. In this life, we face much persecution. In this life, we face adversity. In this life, we face troubles and trials and tribulations and persecutions, all those things. And God has provided for us an avenue, a means through which we can release our emotions properly. As we are inspired by His Spirit. So that when the temptation comes for us to murmur and complain... We don't have to yield to it and allow that force to, to, to get a hold of our emotions and make us do things that we will regret later on in our lives. Like yield to that emotion of anger and do this and do that. Yield to that murmuring spirit, just start murmuring and complaining. You know what? As I was meditating upon the things that I'm sharing with you, I also saw another side to this. I saw that God did manifest himself in the 
in, in the life of Paul and Silas and others when they worshipped him and blessed him and praised him. And there was his manifest presence and it brought deliverance to them. But you know what else I saw? I also saw in the book of Numbers that when the people of God murmured and complained against what God was doing in the earth and did not align themselves with what God was doing in the earth, same people. The children of Israel got to, over to the other side of, of the Red Sea. They were rejoicing and praising God and for the, in the victory. He provided for them. And then it wasn't very long before they began to murmur and complain about being hungry, about being thirsty. And you know what? It distracted them. It, it, it got a hold of their attention. It caused them to go in another direction and to think about carnal things, to think about their physical needs, to think about this, think about that. And it caused them to lose sight of the vision of what God was doing and what He had for them. And they lost sight of Canaan's land. They lost sight of a place that they can enter into in God that would provide for them a land flowing with milk and honey. Where God says, I will be a God unto you and you shall be my people. I'll take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. The number of your days I will fulfill. I'll bless your bread. I'll bless your water. And I'll provide honey out of the rock for you. I'll do all these things in that place if you'll allow me to take you into that land that I have provided for you. They lost vision. They lost the perception, they lost the knowledge, they lost the insight as to what, into what God had for them, and they began to look at their own situations. They looked at their own physical needs. They looked at their own emotional needs and began to cry out for someone to help them, and they turned to Moses, complained to Moses, turned to Aaron, complained to Aaron, back and forth. Finally, they got to the place, they complained to Joshua, they complained to Caleb because they had the vision of God, they had the faith of God, they had the, the fortitude and the insight to look into the things of God and say, yes, there may be giants in that land out there, but you know what? We are not looking at it from a physical, natural perspective. We are looking at it through the eye of faith. We see our God as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see our God as the one who's more than enough to get us into that land that we need to get into. And we we look to him, not to the giants that are out there in the land. We're not going to complain. But no, the others, they complained. They murmured. They were upset. They were frustrated. They were down in the dumps. Their countenance had fallen. They could not see how this God, supposedly, a mighty God, could get them into that land of promise, even though he got them across the Red Sea. They lost the vision of God. And people of God, when you lose vision, you lose heart. Where there is no vision, even God's people do what? They perish. They lost heart. And when they lost heart, that was it. They couldn't enter into what God had for them. So they murmured, they complained. They murmured, they complained. And the point is this. Yes, God inhabits the praises of His people. And God's power and glory is manifested. But beloved, when the children of Israel took up rocks to stone Joshua and Caleb because of their faith and belief in the almighty God and His power to deliver and get them in, you know what happened? God's glory and God's power also manifested itself before them in the midst of their murmuring and complaining and pronounced judgment upon them. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm going to have God's power and glory in manifestation in my life, I don't want it to be for Him to judge me. Do you? I'm not going to stand against what His will is. No, I would rather have God's power and glory manifested in my life because I live a life of praise, I live a life of worship, 
I live a life of service unto an almighty God. And although there may be times of difficulty, although there may be times where I'll tend to be frustrated and our countenance has fallen, I'm going to use the vehicle He has provided for me that is the vehicle of worship and praise. And in the midst of it all, in all of the problems, in all of the circumstances, I'm going to lift my voice to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I'm going to glorify Him. I'm going to magnify Him so I can experience the abundance of His life in a positive way to bring about my deliverance and to set me on high above all the clouds of adversity and in all the midst of persecution as Paul said I could have the same testimony he has delivered me out of them all hallelujah that's what I'd rather have what about you I said I want to stay away from that judgment because you know when God judges Lord it's not good we're not supposed to be judged until we get over to the other side I don't want to be judged here in this life I want to judge myself that I be not judged here in this life. And you find out what happened to them. They died in the wilderness. <clears throat> Children buried their parents. Terrible. Horrible. Can you imagine being in that state of condition that you have no way of reaching God to change that act of judgment that he pronounced upon you? No, I, w I wouldn't want to be there. And so that we saw them out there in the wilderness and really they were... They were in bondage to what? The devil, the world, and the flesh. Just like we can be in bondage to the devil, the world, and the flesh. And they stayed in that condition until they finally died. But people of God, God has something better for us. God has something more for us. He wants to provide the abundance of all things for us. And I've got good news for you. It's yours if you'd like to have it. It's yours if you'd like to have it. You can be free if you want to be free. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But this is what it's going to require. There's something I think that needs to be emphasized here before we look at that scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And that is that we are God's children. And God expects us to worship Him with joyful hearts. He expects us to serve Him with gladness within our hearts. If we don't choose to do that very thing then what we will end up choosing to do is worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. Now, I'm going to say that again because that needs to be driven home into our hearts. If we do not choose to live a life of service unto God and worship unto God Almighty, then we will eventually end up living a life serving and worshiping the creature more than the creator. In Romans 1.25, the Bible teaches us that the people who were involved in sexual immorality, committing acts of lesbianism and homosexuality and, and, and adultery and fornication and all those things, God gave them over to their own heart's lust. The Bible says that they worshiped and served. Two words, key words. They worshiped and served. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. See, the creature. God created all things. And because of the fall of man, because of his own willful act of disobedience, he is in a position that he has to choose as to whether or not he's going to devote his life to the worship and service of the living God, or he's going to devote his life 
to do what he wants to do with his or her own life. And if a person chooses to follow his own ideas, to live according to his own lifestyle, to please himself, or the lusts of his flesh, or the dictates of the world system, or the influence of the devil, then that person, maybe unawaringly, maybe unknowingly, whatever, still worships and serves, not God Almighty, but worships and serves the creature. Yes, we can say Satan was created by God, and then of course he perverted the life that God gave him. It's now called death that will live forever, be alive forever in the form of death. And those who follow him, of course, will serve that creature that God created more so or rather than the, the creator. But you know, he also made you and he also made me. And if we choose as an act of our will to do our own thing in life, to do what I want to do with my life, then we once again, that's called idolatry. We end up serving the creature ourselves, our own fleshly lusts and desires, or the, or like I said, the flow of the, of the world system, the spirit of the world, or the influence of the, the wicked one, the evil one. We end up worshiping that which was created more than the creator himself. And beloved, so many of us, many of us, all of us, I'll say it that way, all of us have been guilty of doing that very thing with our own lives. We've given our lives over under the service of self and under the worship of self rather than the service of God and the worship of God. And that's why this ministry of true worship and praise is so important. We want to break free from that. We can be bound up by that to such a degree that we don't have the freedom within ourselves to truly worship God our Father as we truly should. And we end up serving ourselves, serving our own flesh and desires, doing what we want to do with our own lives. And God doesn't want that. We serve and we worship the creature more than we do the Creator. And blessed be Him forever. He is the one who is worthy of our true worship and praise, isn't He? He is the one who is worthy of our service to devote our lives to what He would have us to do with our lives. Amen. That's why we are here. We are here existing for the praise of His glory, to glorify Him, to honor Him with our lives in true worship and in true Christian service. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. To look at His Word. And you know what that's going to involve in you and me, beloved of God? Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's just read two verses together. Verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Now, if when we were non-Christians, we worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, and now that we are Christians, the temptation is also there, always there, for us to worship and serve our own fleshly desires more than the Creator of our flesh, then what is it that's going to enable us to break loose from that or to break free from that and worship and serve God in spirit and in truth? What is it? Write it down. Change. Tra change. The transforming power of God. Change. It requires change. Once we've been born again, blood washed, delivered from the powers of sin, it is our responsibility and duty to look into the mirror of God's Word, to look into the image of God Himself by looking into His Word and finding out what His Word has to say concerning our lives and what we should do and what we should not do. 
We don't have the power to change ourselves, so we must look as an act of our will into what God's Word says about about our lives, our lifestyles, and about what we'll do with our lives, about who we'll worship and who we'll serve, and say, Father God, it's my desire to serve you. It's my desire to live for you, to stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set me free. I want to serve you and worship you in spirit and in truth, but the way I am right now doesn't lend itself to that. I am inhibited when it comes to a life of service and worship. And so I need you to change me. Like I was there sitting at that Pentecostal church service. I had my hands, you know, I was sitting upon my hands. I didn't want to do that. I needed change, people of God. And you know, we're not always that quick to, to say that I need change. Or to yield ourselves to change. We are creatures of habit. We get ourselves in certain forms, whether it's religious forms or other habits that we have within our life. And we don't really like change. But here, God is saying it's not just enough just to be born again. Thank God that will get us into heaven. But once we've experienced the transforming power of God in our spirit, man, it is His desire for us to continue to take a steadfast look into the, the law of liberty, enabling Him to change us by His Spirit from glory to glory, molding us into what He wants us to be, changing our lives into what He wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do in, uh, in our lives so that we are well-pleasing unto Him. And that requires change by His Spirit in all of our lives. No matter who we are, no one is exempt from this. We are all to look into the perfect law of liberty and allow Him to change us by His Spirit so that we can serve Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth as He so desires. Now, change then is a major part of the growing process. If we're not open to change, we're not going to grow in God. We should be in a constant state of being changed. Constantly being changed. From one place of glory or one degree of glory unto another degree of glory as of by the Spirit of our God. See, if we're not involved in change within our lives, then people of God, we have come to a standstill in our place of growth and development in Him. He wants us to begin to take on the form and image of His Son so that He can be seen in our lives. He wants us to reflect His very character, His very love, His very life in this world of darkness. He wants us to be a reflection of the light, of the countenance of His glory, so that people who are out there who see us, they can see the light of God, they can see the love of God, they can see the life of God, they can see the glory of God, and the power of God, and the character of God in our lives, and want what we have. And that requires change in our lives as individuals, and also as a collective body. But you see, when God initiates change by His Spirit, there are certain reactions to the action of God's Spirit that exist among the people of God that make it difficult for us as a collective body to experience that change. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, whenever God says change, you have different reactions from people. For example, you have those who will say, I've done it this way for 40 years. Now, I mean that seriously. I've done it that way for 40 years. And now you're telling me that God is initiating change, certain changes? Or we've conducted our worship service that way for, for the last 10 years. And you're saying God is initiating change? Well, beloved, let me say it to you like this. God doesn't have to change. He's the Lord God. He changes not. If there's anybody who is in the developing stages, it's you and me. You and I. Is that true? 
Well, if we're doing it the same way for all these years, and we're not experiencing any change within our lives, I have to question. Are we so like God? Are we that God-like in, in experienced reality in every area of our lives that we don't need any more change? See, that deters spiritual growth and development within a collective body of believers. We'll not have that tongues business in this place because we've never had it for the last 20 years. Yeah, I know, but when God poured out His Spirit in the early 1900s, many who said the same thing decided to align themselves with, with what God is doing and absolutely revolutionized their entire churches and lives. Change was introduced and accepted within that body of believers and they began to experience the glory and power of God like never before. So you see, there will always be those who will shy away because they have a lack of perception or a lack of vision or a lack of knowledge and they don't want to enter into what God is doing and so they more or less come against the change that is being, let's say, emphasized by the Spirit of God as He begins to move among those people. And they'd rather just sit back and just not be a part of it. Then on the other hand, you have another reaction to the action of God's Spirit as He begins to move among His people. And that is that there are those, because of a lack of spiritual growth and development, they will take a hold of what God is doing by His Spirit, and they'll go in the other direction, and they'll run off with it 150 miles an hour. They'll get way out ahead of God. God will still be back here, and they're way out there with what God is doing by His Spirit. And they enter into wildfire, fanaticism, and extremism. And they get carried away and they begin to operate in the flesh. And God then is not fully in what's happening in that, in that person's life or in that assembly of people. So it's either they'll, they'll, they'll stay so far behind God that they have religious form without power. Have a form of godliness but denying the power of the living God. But on the other hand, you'll have extremism and wildfire. They got way out ahead of God and way out there. They begin to, to, to get involved in emotionalism, wildfire, fanaticism, and, and all that. And once again, the work of God cannot produce the proper change among the people of God. And God is still unable to carry out His plan, purpose, and will. So you have those two different reactions to the action of the Spirit of God as He begins to move among the people of God and introduce change within the body or the individual's life. Now, the third reaction, which I believe to be a proper reaction, is you'll have some who, because of a proper perception, who, because of a proper vision that they have, with accurate knowledge of what God is doing, they will yield themselves to God. They'll stay in His presence They'll reevaluate their own Christian experience. They'll look deep inside their heart. They'll say, search my heart. They'll say, try my reins. And wherever it is that I am not aligning myself with you, Father God, as I look into the perfect law of liberty, introduce that change inside my life, not somebody else's, not those people over there, down the street, over here, sitting in that pew over there, or that, that section over there. No, I look in me and introduce that change into my life so that I I can change to align myself with what you are doing as you move upon this earth in great demonstration of your power and might so that I can become a positive vessel of honor and I can enhance what you are doing in this assembly, in my life, in my family's life, in this body's uh, functioning as a, as a New Testament church. Here I am, Lord. 
I give myself to you and make those adjustments, make those changes in my life by your spirit so that I can have in my life realize a greater degree of the glory and the anointing of God within my own personal makeup. Because they have a proper perception, because they have proper vision, they see it the way God is, is moving, they don't go out and get ahead of God, they don't fall back thinking, well, we have all there is, we don't want any more. No, they don't have the dead form, they don't have the extremism and wildfire, they are in a, in a state of humility, and they wait upon Him to make the changes and the adjustments in their lives first, and then let God do it by His Spirit, then the mountains will be removed, and, 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 and the, the, the valleys will be filled up and, and the place will be a plain for them to, to carry on the activity of God and the will of God will be accomplished among those people. And people of God, I have been preaching this message for such a long period of time. Sometimes I, you, know, you, you think about it and you kind of wonder, well, Father God, I, I've said it so many times, is it getting so repetitious that people are going to get bored with it? People of God, if God is in it, we're not going to get bored. And this is what he's been saying. I have been endeavoring to, by my spirit, to introduce change within the local body ministry. I've been attempting to, by my spirit, to transform, to, re, to, to restore the church back into a house, a temple of purity, where heart, attitudes, motives, and desires are pure before me, and prayer, where people understand how to come into my presence and to have vital contact and communion with me, and power, my power will be manifested in that place among the people, so that by my almighty power I can do for them, as I did for those of old, I can show myself strong, show myself powerful, show myself mighty, demonstrate the power of my might, bring salvation to the spirit, bring deliverance to the mind, healing to the body, and I can get involved in all the activities and affairs of the people's lives so that I can show myself to be the God who I said I am. I can be the great I am in their lives. I can be their father. I can pr provide for them and care for them. I can be the one who will provide their need, bless their bread, bless their water, take sickness and disease away from the midst of them, and show myself to be a strong, mighty God in their midst. Now that is what He intends to do. That is what He wants to do to cause us to be that house of power so that what? In the end, it will be a house of such perfected praise. You talk about maturity and praise. It will be the kind of praise that poured forth out of this inner man, the innermost part of their being when they go to the other side of the Red Sea. You don't have to tell somebody to shout, dance, praise, worship, lift up a hand, turn around. You have to say that. They had the vision. They had the insight. They saw it all. Yeah, they lost it quickly. But you know what? You can't take it away from them. At that point, they had it. And when they had it, God was truly worshipped in spirit and truth. He was being blessed as he wanted to be blessed. And his power was realized that it was among them. This is what he's saying. And what he is doing is introducing to us change. And I want to show that to you in John's Gospel. Would you turn there with me, please? Because we are going to yield. We are in the process of yielding ourselves to what God is doing by Spirit. We're not just content with talking about it and teaching about it and sharing truth. We can inform and inspire, but beloved, for it to become a reality within our lives, we've got to get ourselves involved in what he is doing in an active way. In a real way. Giving ourselves to it. Yielding ourselves to it. What is he saying? He is looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth so that he can begin to do these things in their midst. And the prayer that he is talking about is not just prayer that prays against the powers of darkness. He's talking about the type of prayer that realizes his manifested presence, which is the true prayer of worship and praise. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. 
See, he inhabits the praises of his people. And as we begin to praise and worship him in spirit and in truth, then his presence is realized among us. And that's the power of God in manifestation. And in that atmosphere that is created through true worship and praise, God begins to move. You know, you can almost step back and just watch him work. There's no effort. You lay hands upon people, the power of God goes into their their bodies. And people of God, we're not satisfied with just headaches being healed. We're not satisfied with a little ache here being healed. We're saying that we want to step back and be so pure before God. To to come into such vital contact and communion with Him that there is such a power, such a presence of the Almighty God in this place that it shall be spoken of us as it was of them of old when the power of God was so active among them that even by the shadow of Peter, those who were lame began to walk, those who were blind began to see, those who were deaf began to hear. God was truly visiting the people in a powerful, mighty way and it was seen in a tangible way as it had an effect upon the lives of those people who were ailing. We want to step back and let God move in a mighty way here among us in that same way that He did then doing these great demonstrations of His love, tender mercies, and kindness in the lives of all people as they come in. This is what God wants to do. And you know what? We just need to step back and let Him do it. But to promote it, we've got to enter into to worship and praise. And I want to show that to you here in John chapter 4 and verse 19. I'm not going to get as far as I intended because we want to do it by precept and example. Verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet because Jesus exposed, remember the woman at the well? Jesus exposed her life that she was married. Or, you know, This guy that she was living with was not her husband. He said, and you had five husbands, and the guy you married with is not your husband, and cetera, et cetera. Okay. The woman, after Jesus exposed her life, perceived that he was a prophet. Well, that's pretty good perception. Didn't take much to perceive that, did it? After he exposed her life. Notice she begins to take attention away from herself, and she asks one of the questions of the hour. He, she wanted to distract... You see, his attention, take him away from exposing her faults and her failures. And she began to talk to him about an issue that existed among the Samaritans and the Jews about true worship and praise of God. And so she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain. Now talking about this mountain is referring to Mount Gerizim. The Mount of Blessing. And the governor of Samaria built a temple there for his son-in-law Manasseh. And made him the high priest there. And the Samaritans began to establish rival worship there in that temple with the temple that was on Mount Moriah that was built by Solomon as he was instructed by God in Jerusalem. And in that place, they worshipped. But on Mount Gerizim, it says that the Samaritans worshipped. And so there was a great controversy existing among the people. Is this where true worship is? Or is that where true, true worship is? And so there was conflict among the Samaritans and the Jews. This is where we should worship God. No, this is where we should worship God. No, this is... Can you imagine it? 
has things to time is, I mean, you know, time has gone on, but man hasn't changed. Come to our church, we've got it. No, come to our church, we have it. No, let's build another temple because we don't like the way anybody has it. We'll build our own temple. I mean, let's face it, amen, or oh my, anyway, you want to say it. But that existed back then, that's what they did. Built their own temple, we'll have it our own way. They took the Pentateuch as being their Bible, the Samaritans did, and said, this is where and how we worship God. But you Jews say, she's talking to Jesus, you Jews say that it's in Jerusalem there, in Solomon's temple, where we're supposed to worship God. And I like the way Jesus answers. He's always in the now. And he says to her, look, woman. That's what he said. Believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. He had the perception of God then. He had the vision of God then. He knew what was about to transpire and take place. The time cometh and now is, he goes on to say. Look at verse 22. You worship, you know not what for, we know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is. It's upon us now when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must. Absolutely, of necessity. It is an absolute necessity that the people that are true worshipers, they must worship Him in spirit, not in Jerusalem, not in Mount Gerizim, but in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in that manner. Now, people of God, you have to admit with me that down through the years, the church has lost its understanding and concept of true worship and praise of God Almighty. They have lost their concept of what a true worship service is all about. And their meeting together, their assembly together, has turned into a house of what? Of entertainment, social activity, programs, and religious form. And having a form of godliness, but denying the power of, of God thereof. Why? Because they have failed to recognize that it's in that place of true worship, it's in that place of true praise, that the power and the presence and the almightiness of God is realized among the people. And that's why they have the Levites, the singers of Asaph and and so on and so forth, set apart so that they would worship in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant by day and by night, and their sole ministry would be to worship God so that His manifest presence would be there among them, before them, so that God can carry on His activity with the children of Israel to bring about fullness of redemption. That was their public ministry. That was what they were set apart to do unto God, for God, in service unto God, true worship and praise. Well, beloved, since that time, God no longer dwells in that Ark of the Covenant. He no longer dwells in any earth made holies of holies. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not on Mount Gerizim. But, beloved, the Bible teaches us that we have become the children of the living God. We are the temple of the Most High God. And we, as the temple of God, are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when we do the power and the presence of God is realized and manifested among us and the glory of God begins to flow out from us and God's purpose, God's plan and God's will is achieved in and through our lives as we do this according to his plan. We are the temple of the living God. He dwells in us as he said, 
I am their God. They are my people. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jesus himself said, look, destroy this body, destroy this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. And they could understand what he's talking about. He's talking about the place that God was going to dwell in was going to be rebuilt. You can kill me. You can pull down that temple that took 46 years to, re- to, to, to build. You can kill my body. I house the, 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 the power of God, the presence of God right now. You can kill it. But I tell you what, you're not going to prevent God from dwelling among us people. Because back in Numbers, he said, as surely as I live, saith the Lord, the earth will be filled with and full of my glory. And since that time, Jesus died, rose again. And when the blood was accepted and he came back and told it to all the people of God and, and the apostles went forth and they demonstrated the power of God, Jesus has been giving birth to those by his spirit and his word and causing us, people like you and me, to become the temple of the living God. And when the people of God begin to recognize that true worship and true praise in the temple, we are the temple of God, realizes the presence and the power of God and brings it to manifestation, then as they yield themselves to that, God God is going to demonstrate himself in a mighty, powerful way to do the thing that he desires to do in affecting the lives of people in a positive way. Whether it's salvation, healing, deliverance, direction for their spirit, illumination of their mind, God wants involved in a powerful way in the lives of his people. And Jesus is saying that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for programs. He's not looking for entertainment. He's not looking for all these other things. He is looking for a people who will give themselves over unto true worship and to true praise. And the last scripture I wanted to get to, let's just turn to it and read to it, and, and we'll close it with that. There's so many benefits to it. Look at Psalms 149. So many benefits to it. But you'll recall that David said in Psalms 63, look at Psalm 149. Remember David said in Psalm 63 that he longed to see the glory and the power of God? Remember that? He said, my soul hungers and my, my, my flesh is thirsting and hungering after you. To see your power and your presence and your glory as I've seen you in the sanctuary. Then he began to say, for thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you while I live. Thus will I bless you. I will lift up my hands in your name. Why do you think he was saying that? Because true worship and praise blesses the Father. And causes the Father to manifest himself in his glorious power and in might. And people of God... When the church failed to continue this ministry of true worship and praise, and when the opposite kind of change took place, and they became a house of entertainment, people people like them church just been entertained. What group's coming in this week? And they sit back, oh yeah, they were pretty good. They sang these songs, sang that song. Wasn't that nice? Oh, it was nice to go to church and I sit back and get entertained because I had a hard day at work today. I just want to sit back and just pick off my shoes and relax and just be entertained. Come on, you've been out, you've said it. Many have said it. Nice just to go to church, sit back and just observe what's going on and, and be blessed. People of God, I want you to say this with me. I've been redeemed, washed in the blood from my sins, made a king and a priest unto my God, my Father. As a priest, I stand in the holy priesthood office to do service and to worship my God and Father in spirit and in truth. To offer spiritual sacrifices of praise and worship to my Father. Not to be entertained, not to have programs and social activities and religious form, but to have purity, 
To have contact and communion. To have power and perfected praise in God. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here right now. And you know what? The Lord has spoken to my heart and said, If my people will hearken, if my people will do it, my presence will be in such manifestation and in demonstration that their, the needs of my people will be met as they come into contact with that presence and power even before anybody lays hands on it. It'll be so realized among them that it will be that effective in their lives. So people of God, we've been saying it for a long time. We're, we're entering into it as an act of our will. Are you ready to enter in? In this psalm it says there are many benefits and this is what I want to get. We'll have to get to it next week. Let's just read through it. Psalm 129. Praise ye the Lord. Here's our first thing he does to persuade us to enter in. He's not going to make us do it. But it says praise ye the Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord. Praise him for who he is. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God Almighty. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? The creator of all mankind. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And praise his, praise him in his praise in the congregation of saints. Let us rejoice in Him that made Him. He made us. Praise Him. Why? Worship Him. Why? Because of what He has done. He has made us and not we ourselves. We couldn't put ourselves together. Anybody else, anybody else go out there and get a shovel full of dirt? That's what we're made up of. We've got a lot of water. Anybody want to try to do that? Go out in the back, out in the yard over there, get a shovel full of dirt? That's what, that's what we're made up of. Some dirt and water. Primarily, that's what we're made up of. Put it together. We got a lot of dirt out there. We got a lot of water around us. Put it together and see if we can come up with a human being. You're just not going to do it. I said you're just not going to do it. Praise Him. Why? Let them rejoice in Him that made Him because He made us and not we ourselves. Let us lift our voices and praise Him because He made, if there's any reason, it's because of who He is and because of what He has done. He has made us and not we ourselves. I didn't make myself. You didn't make yourself. We've been made for His pleasure. He got together some dirt, got together some water, put it together, got a human body, and breathed into it the breath of life for His honor, for His pleasure, for His glory. We belong unto Him, and bless God, He says we are to praise Him because He made us. And not only did He make us, He told them in Isaiah 43, He said, Look, I have made thee, I have created thee, I have formed thee, I have called thee, I have redeemed thee, therefore praise me. Well, that's Israel. It doesn't matter, beloved. He, if He created them, He recreated you and me. If He formed them, He reformed you and me. He redeemed us, didn't He, by His blood. He did all these things in, in our lives also. He's called us. Our name is in Him. He is in us. We are in Him. And then we live and move and have our being. We are in Him. We are His people, the sheep of His pastor. No wonder He says, praise me. He goes on to say, let them rejoice because he made them. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name. Let them express themselves. Let them be in the dance, singing praises unto him with the instruments of music, the timbre, the harp. Because the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He is pleased when his people praise him. Then when, when he is pleased, he beautifies them with salvation. Oh, brother, we've we got to look into this. When the people of God recognize the value and the importance of worship and praise and begin to worship and praise Him in spirit and in truth, God the Father takes pleasure. What does the Bible say in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11? It tells us to sing praise and to glorify God because He is worthy 
He's created all things for His pleasure. They are and they were created. So we are His creatures. He has created us. He takes pleasure in us. And as we begin to worship and praise Him, we bring pleasure unto Him. And when we bring pleasure unto Him, He beautifies our lives with total deliverance, satisfaction, and salvation with longevity, with soundness of mind, with healthy bodies, with, with the things that we need to get by in this life. He beautifies our lives. He gives us the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He beautifies our lives with salvation. Amen. That's what He does. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.